0: Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns. This is episode 127. 127. And uh, as always, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can leave them on the comments section of Podbean, or you can email them to me, kbmakel at aol.com. K-B-M-A-K-E-L at aol.com. And I haven't said this for a while, but we kinda do we kinda do three parts of this podcast. The first part is covering any national news relevant to the Second Amendment and to gun owners. The next part is some critiques of things we see around the shooting world. And the third part is my favorite, which is questions and answers, because people ask questions and I get to answer them. So that's that's awesome. So anyway, we'll get underway and go with episode one twenty-seven. Okay, the first thing I have to talk about is I don't know if you saw the the old senilec man, the the election thief in chief, um, go to, to go to New York, and now it's interesting, you know, because the, the, it's so predictable. That the Democratic Party inspired violence and crime wave which has been sweeping the country And, and you see the statistics murders up 38% rapes up 25% everything's up you know 25 to 40% probably in whatever category you want to look at and this has been spurred on by their summer of love the George Floyd riots and also the fact that it appears that somehow this Soros guy, that's at least what they say, has elected some of the most liberal leftist types of people as district attorneys in big cities. You know, this Chessa Bodine guy in San Francisco, his his parents were you know what were they weather underground terrorists he was raised by another weather underground terrorist how this guy could be a district attorney i'm I'm not real sure i think you know i, I think they're probably out now but i think his parents they were locked up for 30 or 40 years you know because they were so bad trying to bomb police stations and they wanted to bomb the uh, the NCO club at Fort Dix, New Jersey, and you know, oh, they, they were real sweethearts. But anyway, uh, this violence is now being characterized as gun violence, and you heard what what that pathetic old fart said in in uh, New York. Oh, we're going to crack down on rogue gun dealers. Well, they should be doing that already. And frankly. Where's the proof that there are any rogue gun dealers? And I would say there's probably none. There are probably people who make technical, you know, paperwork mistake violations. But there are not rogue gun dealers running all around. You can't just run down to the corner and, and uh, buy a gun from a gun dealer. You know, it just doesn't happen. So, anyway. Uh, now, there are people probably see- stealing and selling guns. That that's it, and they're not they're not gun dealers though. They're not licensed by the federal government. The only way to crack down on them is using local police to arrest them, which is exactly what the Democrats don't want to do. They don't want to arrest anybody uh, for stealing anything, and they have these people who are just the revolving door. You know, you can read about it. Google the revolving door in crime, and you'll you'll get all that. But the the thing that's important for us to know is now it's being characterized as gun violence and. The answer's more gun regulation because Biden mistakenly says, because the guy's just a human mistake. I mean, this guy, if you look up mistake in the dictionary, you should see Biden's picture there. Uh, he said, Second Amendment doesn't mean you can own anything you want. Well, effectively it does. And he said, back in the Revolutionary War days, you couldn't you couldn't go buy a cannon. Well, in fact, you could. And in fact, you could buy any kind of military arm that was on the market. There was no problem. Or you could build your own. It didn't matter. And uh, so, you know, these people trying to reinterpret it. You know, it, it, here's the game. The game is they want to reinterpret the Second Amendment as to meaning only hunting and sporting type guns, which are limited capacity You know, bolt action, slow pump action, they want to get rid of all semi-automatics, so we're stuck with manually operated guns. And then they're going to go after hunting, and then they're going to say there's no use to own guns at all because, you know, there's no hunting left. (laughs) They'd stop hunting. Now, all of that would be an economic and environmental disaster, absolute disaster. But I mean, that's that's the kind of thing they go. So that's why we have to draw the line here. Yes, I can go buy a cannon right now, and if it's a breech loader, I can go through all the the hoops of the ATF and buy one. Or if it's a muzzle loader cannon, I can just go buy one. I think I could order it through the mail because they're they're not really considered weapons because they're uh, so antiquated, and uh, you know the technology is very very old, and you would need actually a crew to to fire it. Uh, Pretty effectively that's why they grouped them in in large groups during things like the the civil war and and uh, the eras where muzzle loading cannons were used you never had just hey bring up the cannon it was always bring up five or six of these things he could one could always be firing while the others were in the state you know the various stages of of being reloaded so Anyway, they want to everything, all the problems are going to be gun violence now. So when you hear the word gun violence, understand that is a deflection from what it really is. Democrat violence. Democratic Party violence. They inspired it. They've encouraged it. They've never done anything. Now now they see the big turd this has turned out to be because in democratically, Democratic Party-run cities... Uh, crime is running amok (laughs) and and now they're getting blamed for it and that's the ultimate thing that they don't want to have is responsibility for anything so they they are going to deflect and blame it on guns but I think that's going to be a failed strategy because um, you know frankly it's never been a logical strategy and we'll see I think people are fed up with it and uh, I hope that everybody kind of gets on board. You got to donate to the organizations. We got to fight these guys. Got to get them out of office first. And, uh, you know, just when they say a lie like gun violence, it has to be challenged. It's not gun violence. It's Democratic Party violence. That's just simply what it is. All right. Let's go next to the uh, the Rittenhouse AR-15. And I actually forgot this for the last podcast, but you know, you keep seeing these things that pop up in the news. Rittenhouse AR-15 is going to be destroyed. And um, first of all, I don't even know, I don't really know or care. Uh, we can make millions more, <laughs> so it's okay. Um, here's my whole thing on Rittenhouse. I mean, he, he was clearly in the right, in self-defense. He clearly never deserved to be brought up on trial. He, he clearly was was abused and mishandled by the justice system. So the case is, is that. He was an American citizen that was abused by the justice system. Never should have been on trial. Never should have gone. And you saw it with the liars. Even the, that one guy that he shot who survived, you saw what a liar he was until he was confronted with videotape evidence of his own lies and then he (laughs) then he had to uh (laughs) fess up because it was right in front of him so you know my personal view is i i saw the tucker carlson thing and you know frankly i think this guy's just kind of a chubby cheeked little you know little immature person um i don't think a lot of him i don't see him as a big hero um and when he talked about, I want the rifle destroyed, I, I understand, to a degree I understand that, because he doesn't want this thing to, to remain a trophy and keep his name out in the, the public. And he wants to fade away and live a normal life, and if this gun keeps periodically coming up for sale, um, he, that's probably what he's thinking about. But my whole thing is, the gun did nothing wrong. It did what it was exactly designed to do. It was used in a lawful manner. And uh, fortunately, uh, it took a couple of miscreants off this earth and, and mangled up a third one so that he's probably going to be staying out of trouble because uh, he probably only has one useful arm. So, um, you know, the, the gun did nothing wrong. The gun is just molecules. It doesn't really mean anything. It's just molecules of steel and, and polymer and, and aluminum, and that's really all it is. So to try to be making a statement that we're going to destroy it, it seems to me to be stupid. And, um, you know, frankly, from what I saw in the Rittenhouse interview, he's not very bright. Or he wouldn't have been there in the first place. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, I was there and I I legally did my self-defense and all that, which I completely agree with. But, you know, being there in the first place is probably a big mistake, huge mistake. So the... The use of the firearm does not make the firearm good or evil. Uh, the good or evil is in the person who's holding it, and that's the that's the case. There's no evil transferred to an inanimate object, and that's one of the things that the uh, you know anti-gunners just never understand. They they cannot understand that the instrument himself is it's like a broom, you know. If a witch is flying on it, it's bad. If it's sweeping your your house and keeping it clean, it's it's good. I mean it's but it's just a broom, you know. It doesn't it doesn't have a mind of its own and it doesn't have any any inherent traits of good and evil. Uh, oh, the next thing to talk about is um podcasting. Everybody's heard about this Joe Rogan guy. Frankly, I have never really listened to the Joe Rogan experience, his podcast. I just You know, I'm really not that interested in kind of pop culture podcasts. They just don't interest me. I mean, I find them to be a little boorish, you know, the the kind of the funny host and and all the rest of this. I'm I'm just not really into it. I do find it's interesting that a lot of people consider Joe Rogan the most trusted name in news. The Cronkite or Edward R. Murrow of our, uh, of our generation, I suppose, or our time, I suppose. But, um, you know, frankly, um, you know, I did, I did get a deal one time. I said, I don't listen to him. And uh, a person said to me, well, he gets millions of downloads and you probably get, you know, dozens or hundreds, you know. So what does that tell you? And I said, well, it tells me that I'm, I'm just doing a much better job than he is. People just don't recognize it. So, but in truth, you know, the guy's really good at what he does. I mean, he's, he's the, the number one podcast guy. Now, why, does this all, why is this all important? Well, he had some, I guess, anti-vax people on or, or people with, you know, different views on vaccinations and natural immunity and all the rest of this related to, of course, this COVID nonsense. Well why would anybody care? Why would anybody care? Well they care because he has a big audience. And they care because podcasting is scaring the leftists. And you would think they would be pro podcast. Hey, power to the people, everybody gets a voice. And and really you can register for a free account and and on any of these servers and and they'll they'll basically you know you can have eight or ten podcasts up at any one time and they'll they'll do that Um, what is he really doing that's scaring them and the answer is just like I'm talking to you he can talk to millions of people without control without censorship you think about it the, the networks are able to control and censor whatever message goes out on their um, whatever message goes out on their network, they just do through policy, through even direct orders and everything else. They can just they can influence that. The other the other big things like take YouTube. You know, YouTube used to be like podcasting. It was kind of a person to person. It was just a hosting service. You you could, uh, you know, dress up like a big mouse and dan- dance around on on YouTube. And you probably still can. But you cannot show a video showing how to build an AR fifteen from an eighty percent lower receiver. Can't do that. Or how to do certain things. And there's some podcasts where you can't there's some there's some of those I don't want to call them podcasts, but they're podcasts that they stream the video on YouTube. So it's really more of a video than a podcast. But they can't hold up firearms on live streaming and all the rest of it. you know, all these rules are just put in for censorship and it's a way that now people who put up stuff there can be censored and, and they've been they've been squealing about this for a long time i mean face it without youtube there is no forgotten weapons you know so so the guy with the the long hair and the beard or goatee or however you want to put it you know he's he's achieved a reasonable level of fame especially within the gun community he's probably one of the most famous guys there and he you know that's that's who he has to placate he has to make sure his videos conform to whatever they say and capriciously they can just take him off the air they could just cancel his account now there would be some screaming and belly aching but they could do that and he couldn't say jack about it same thing with the uh uh, that the weird guy that puts on uh, in-range TV. I mean, face it. Um <laughs> they can squash those guys. YouTube can squash those guys like bugs on cement. They can. And they can and if the rest of us were reliant on them, they could do that. This podcast used to be on YouTube as part of the RSS feeds, you know, the kind of kind of a distribution network that sends it out to everything. But, of course, when I started talking about how the 2020 election was stolen, I noticed that somehow they're not on there anymore. And so it was really humorous. I just laughed because uh, it's like I, I could give a rat's ass about YouTube. YouTube can, you know, kiss my behind because I don't care. I don't need them and I don't really want them. I'm actually glad I'm not on YouTube. YouTube is... It was a great idea, but it became corrupt when the controllers had to control and censor it. And same thing is happening with Spotify with this Joe Rogan guy. That's that's where we, that's where we kind of, uh, as Pajen Pajenpasaki would say, we, we circle back to this. Um, you know, that's they're trying to censor him. They they are really angry with him that he had people who are not touting the Fauciist, Fauciist, Democratic, fascisto party line on vaccines and masks. And I'm saying that as a person who's been, well, I've got two vaccinations and a booster. Why did I do that? Well, because they were threatening my livelihood is one reason. Another reason was, and to be truthful, I thought it was a a good choice for me personally and that's what this is about it's about your choice for you personally if you want to take it fine you don't you know and and having different kind of information information that may be not what the CDC who everybody knows they don't know what they're doing everybody knows Fauci's an idiot and maybe even worse maybe even worse there's a lot of questions about who was funding this wuhan lab and even the most gullible stupid leftists even people with that level of stupidity really aren't buying that you know maybe that this bad virus came from the 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 dirty little wet market that's still operating over in wuhan maybe that's not the the source of it maybe it was the virology lab which was making these kind of viruses you know maybe some idiot left a uh, left a door open or left something something out that they shouldn't have and that's how this got loose you know like the killer bees you know they were experimenting with them in like Brazil or someplace 50 years ago and all of a sudden a few somebody left a, a cage open and a whole bunch of them escaped and now they're all over the southwest Okay, same same kind of deal. You got to be careful with what you're doing, and they obviously, in in a lot of places around the world, they're not careful with what they're doing. But anyway, the the podcast kind of industry or community, however you want to look at it, the whole podcast phenomenon, it's coming. You're you're going to see censorship coming, and they're going to start with this Rogan guy. you know, Spotify paid him $100 million bucks, and I just saw the headline today that the head of Spotify says, well, he doesn't really reflect our values. I'm like, ooh. And I just hope that if they kick him off Spotify, that, uh, hey, he takes his show somewhere else, and he's just as happy, he makes just as much money, and everything's all good. But um, censorship is even coming to podcasts. We'll see how that that really works out. Okay, the next one is, I was asked this, this should have been in the questions and answers, I suppose, but it's important enough to, to bring up here. Uh, investing in firearms, and there's a couple videos out there. I think Forgotten Weapons did one and everything. Um, most people, the, the general consensus is is that it's unwise to invest in firearms for a variety of reasons. So people naturally ask me, you know, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? And and of course, there's no real answer. I, w- I would say that here's here's what I generally tell people: if you like guns and you want to own them, own them for the pleasure, and you can own them with the fact that if you hold them long enough, almost any good quality gun will appreciate somehow in value. And there are exceptions to that. Um, So, you know, if you're in it for the long haul and you like them, and hey, you know, you start collecting in your 20s and by the time you're in your 70s and maybe don't want them anymore, you can sell them and you'll have made some money. That's one thing. Another thing is, you can um, speculate and you could say like in 2019 AR prices are really really low so I can either buy completed rifles or buy lower and upper receivers and put them together myself or keep them as kits and if I bought 20 of these things Hey if the price of these things doubles because of some, you know, the next tragedy or the next shortage or the next round of riots or whatever else, I can sell these and double my money. So that's that's another way to invest. Um it's all speculative and you're really you're really not talking about a large figure of money. I mean if if an AR15 costs 500 bucks, say um you buy 10 of them you're into five thousand dollars 20 of them you're into you know ten thousand dollars so that's not a lot of money that's that's not in, in today's especially once inflation really kicks in it won't be a lot of money but you can you can easily go there and and you know turn you can dabble in it and turn some money um I dabbled in it a long time ago. What I did was, I when I saw a magazine ban coming, and restriction on capacity, I bought a bunch. You know, I, I didn't invest more than a few hundred bucks, um, probably three, three or four hundred bucks. And you hit that window where, you know, all of a sudden they're selling for three or four times the amount that they were selling for just a year before and I was able to actually trade them to a dealer for some very nice guns it was it was really nice um and and the particulars of that are just the particulars of that but you know you can you can do that now if you have the money and if you want to collect really high-end stuff and I've known guys who they bought stuff from the Colt Museum when it went out of business you know they've they've bought very very high-end things and these guys are you know real experts and can tell even if the smallest part is not correct on a gun and all that if you have that kind of knowledge and expertise then a you're probably not listening to this because you already know how to invest in guns even if you're listening to this podcast you fast forwarded past this but if you're one of those people who has that kind of knowledge Uh, you can make some good investments because guns do appreciate especially the top end Um, just some generalizations are um, the top end rarer models will appreciate better than an imperfect model meaning a lot of wear or maybe a replaced part or maybe a gun that's a lot more uh, common Uh, obviously a Colt Walker revolver in really nice shape there are not too many few of those original around but if you got a hold of that that's going to appreciate faster than would an equivalent say 1851 navy which was made for about 20 years and in huge quantities compared to the to the uh, walker so there you are you know it's that's that's one thing and the guns are essentially almost contemporary you know 1851 to 1870 1871, 1872, as opposed to 1847, 1848 for the uh, the Walker. They're they're close in the hist- in the historical window, but the Navy model was produced longer and scads and scads more. So there you go. So collecting top end stuff, it will always appreciate. Um, very seldom do guns, those top end guns, depreciate so there you go uh other guns that were a good investment and i'm afraid we've seen the last of the cheap importations at least ones that are on the horizon but um you know i would say that that uh you know the m1 carbines that came in from ethiopia a lot of people turned their nose up at them and everything else and they were i think i'm just guessing but i think they were about a piece. Um, you know, if you invest and buy five of those, uh, 20 years from now, what are they going to be? I can tell you right now, in the 90s, when the Blue Sky carbines came in that everybody turned their nose up at, they were imported by a company named Blue Sky. They, they had to stamp their name on the barrel. They came in from Korea. Um, I can remember those things. Again, they were selling in the proverbial, you know, plastic barrel in some gun shops. And you, they'd have 20 of them stuck in there. And they were selling for $160 a piece, so you know those same carbines would sell for a lot more today. So you can you can do that if you hit an importation of something. Um, you you might be able to get a deal, get a bulk deal. Maybe if you bought five of them from that company, they would give you some sort of discount. I doubt it, but they might. You know, so you can do that now. Now the opportune time to do that was in the late 80s, 90s and early 2000s when you know guns were coming in, a lot of countries were liquidating their their uh, you know World War II era bolt action guns and they were selling literally on the market at prices cheaper than the materials that if you bought the raw materials to make the gun you'd spend more money that's that's how I can put it. Uh, Lee Enfields were selling $60 a piece Moise and the Gants were selling for $39 a piece. Um, the Negant revolvers, which now go for three dollars to $500, those were $60 a piece. Check CZ72, uh, CZ-52s. Check CZ-52s. Those things were $60, $70. Um, the CZ-50 and the CZ-70, the 32 ACP. Beautiful guns, really nice guns. Those were selling well under a hundred dollars, uh, fifty to you know seventy-five bucks. So you know at that at that rate, if you bought those and have held on to them till today, you're going to sell them for perhaps um, five or ten times what you paid for them. Probably ten times. If you bought a Lee Enfield for let's say lee enfield for 60 bucks you could sell it probably for 400 today whatever the math is the math is so that's a very good investment you know but those days are probably gone if you if you buy let me tell you the guns not to buy do not buy anything that is cheap your high points high points will never appreciate in value um unless it's as barter value, unless the economy completely collapses, uh, you may see that any gun becomes worth whatever the market will bear. I will also tell you that, except in very select communities of collectors, uh, high-end hunting rifles probably will not appreciate the way... That a rare military weapon will. People like military guns. People like military stuff. Um, you know, the money you would pay for a sour drilling um, is probably it's probably if you pay the equivalent money for a rare M1 rifle or or nineteen eleven pistol or Colt single action army pistol. Uh, those are going to appreciate in value at a greater rate. Just my guess, but that's it. Older hunting guns don't. Um, you know, and that's just the way it is. They produce a lot of them. There are a lot of them on the market. A lot of them survive in really nice condition because they get taken out once or twice a year. And people take care of them. Um, there are some people that don't, but there are a lot of people that do. And they're just not that special. You know, that's just the way it is. They're just not that special. So um, I would be very careful buying guns. You know, the, the pre 64 Winchester. That was a big deal. The Winchester Model 12 was a big deal. But now the generation that kind of made those guns legendary, kind of undeservedly so, but made them legendary, uh, they're gone. So to modern collectors today, pre-64 doesn't have the same cachet that it did 40 years ago. It's just the way it is. So I'd be very careful. Um, Yes, very expensive custom rifles will always have some some value but may not even be the original purchase cost value um, the, the market for those are very is very very small the market for military and historical guns is very very large so I would say you know you have to be careful in how you invest and what you invest in and you know the one thing I tell everyone is if you want to buy guns if you wanna buy older guns um, the here's something to stay away from when somebody says a gun is unfired number one they're lying because all guns basically get fired in the manufacturing process at the very end they fire a proof load through them or something so there's no such thing as an unfired gun all that is is a code word for this is gonna cost you because I think that this gun is in such great shape it's going to cost you so stay away from anything that says unfired stay away from anything that says cylinder unturned uh stay away from fake fakie commemoratives and um there's a whole there's several companies that have turned out fakie commemoratives even winchester did with the 3030s. remember they had all those some of them were cool I mean it's not that they're not cool it's just that they produce them in large numbers and sold them and people who have them tend to hold on to them and unless they're preserved with the original box and papers and in immaculate condition they lose they lose their value exceptionally fast uh, one of those in ninety eight percent is worth a lot less than it's if it's in a hundred percent so those are fakies. There's actually companies that have made, you know, the, the World War II commemorative Thompson, the World War II commemorative 1911, you know, and they got a bunch of cheesy gold crap on it, you know, and yeah, the gold, you know, accent parts and all the rest of this. You see those advertised. I keep wanting to say it's American Historical Foundation or some other nonsense, but you know, the Vietnam commemorative Thompson, you know, it's, those are, those things never, appreciate the way an equivalent rare gun would. And in fact, they're a burden to sell because nobody really wants them. I mean, no, nobody really wants them because they don't really connect to anything. They're just a they're just a fakey copy that looks they look cool. If you want one to display they're, they're fine for that, but they're not investment quality stuff. I would say that you know, one of the things I probably should have started out with is don't invest in guns at the exclusion of investing in something else. If you, you know, you should have your your regular investments lined up. This is more of a, is my hobby going to, the stuff I accrue for my hobby going to appreciate? That's really what gun investing is. I would never, I would never put everything I had into firearms and there's a there's a big reason for that. Um, you know, regulations could make it very very difficult to transfer firearms in the future. Potentially, that's that's a tiny percent chance, but a percent chance nonetheless. So if everything you have is tied, and look at people who bought a lot of AR-15s. If those become illegal, and it's like, well, if you have them, you can keep them, and when you die, you have to turn them into the government. If I have 25 AR-15s that I was counting on selling in my old age. Well, guess what i can't do that now so that's that's one that's one area maybe semi all semi-automatic guns come that way you know it's a small chance but it's a chance nonetheless so be very very careful uh about investing in firearms and uh but i can say it will be done it can be done and what's more important than investing in firearms in my opinion is knowing what you have so when you get grandpa's gun you know maybe it's a very pedestrian utility work a day gun you know maybe maybe you've inherited an early model 1022 well that's great except it's not worth anything it's just early model 1022s are not worth anything even though it might be 50 years old it's just not worth anything so you know knowing what you have is always, um, important. I, I've told this story before, but I've seen people who they inherit 20 or 25 guns from, you know, dad or grandpa or whatever else. And it's always funny, the guns they think that are worth the most, in many cases, those are the guns worth the least. And it's some other odd thing that is actually worth the money or something they don't pay much attention to is actually worth the most. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. Okay, now let's go to questions and answers. And I'll start off with one. Um, that <laughs> This is great. In the last podcast, you said the Lee 405 grain bullet that they finally did something right and made something very useful. Does that mean you don't like Lee Bullet Designs, their molds, and their equipment. No, just the opposite, as a matter of fact. Um, I really like Lee equipment because a lot of times it's the most cost effective you can get and the quality is there. Um, unless you're doing bench rest or super precision stuff, their dies are, are great. I've had a lot of good luck with Lee equipment. A lot of good luck. I find that their bullet designs, especially their 30 caliber bullet designs, are pretty. They're they're pretty old. I don't like the ogive of them because they don't like certain guns. They don't like. Uh, you have to seat them farther back in the case than you normally would like to. But other than that, um, they're they're very serviceable and very good. The 405 is especially good because they actually consulted. Uh, some people who knew about trapdoors and their traditional ammo and uh, they in collaboration came up with that bullet which is a really good bullet really good mold really good bullet um i've often joked that if they let me in their design department for about 30 minutes i could update their bullet molds they have a couple other really good molds too they've got a uh, 0.312 bullet for the they notionally it's for the AK47 but I think it's like 150 grains and it's a really good bullet. Um I'm waiting to get that mold. Um uh, I've got a couple of things that that I think will uh will work very very well with that bullet. So anyway, uh they they do have some really good stuff. Um I'm not real crazy about their presses, but I would I would take one in a heartbeat if, if somebody gave it to me or if uh I didn't have any other presses. I would just use it. Um, They do make a pretty economically priced turret press, which is which is a good thing. And then they have some single stage presses. The thing about Lee equipment is it's not high volume. I I know they made a progressive loader, but most of their stuff is not high volume. But you know, there's beauty in that. Uh, Learning the basics, and even you know, for a lot of shooters, turning out just 50 or 100 rounds of something keeps them going for a long time so um it's very good equipment they got great customer service and uh so i would not hesitate to buy from them but they are you know you're not buying a dylan you know you're buying you're buying something that's economical and will get the job done but is not fancy with all the bells and whistles so there you go Uh, which next question which do you prefer ball or stick powder for rifles Uh, without question ball powder it just meters well out of my um, powder measure so that's what I like Uh, someday I'm gonna buy one of those fancy powder measures that automatically dumps a charge into uh, into a tray you know you just put you plug it in it's electronic and it does that that, then I might go back to stick powders, but I don't think I'm going to go back to stick powders uh, until I get something like that. I'm not going back to stick powders, just the way it is. All right, next question. Did you see the twenty-eight? I guess it's ABC. ABC Twenty Twenty show on Rust where they had the movie shooting. Yes, I did. I watched it. I don't really watch 2020, but I did watch that episode simply because I wanted to see how much, how much misinformation they put out. They actually did a pretty good job. They they also covered another death where a lady was hit by a train. It was a really tragic thing, um, making another movie. So they kind of blended those two together. Like there was some common... I kept looking for the common thread between them, and other than... Um, It was a young lady who was basically killed making a movie. There was no real correlation between the two. So I was a little mystified about that. But the rest part, you know, it's the usual garbage. Nobody's responsible. uh, Blah, 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 blah. And what you should take from that is, number one, making movies is a dangerous business. It's dangerous. There are a lot of stuntmen who I think have been killed. You don't really hear too much about that. You hear if a... If someone important gets killed, or like with this Russ thing, if someone important does the killing. But, um, you know, a lot of times movies are made, and and sometimes you'll see a little end credit. You know, this picture is dedicated to the memory of so-and-so. And And I always kind of, if I can remember the name, I I try to look it up, and sometimes you find out it's a stuntman that was killed in the the, uh, uh, filming. So uh, the thing to take away from it, though, is no amount of dummy rounds no amount of you know no no amount of blanks no amount of dummy rounds makes a set safe it's all procedure it is all procedure and somehow even the most basic firearm safety procedures were ignored and this woman got killed and this poor lady got killed she had a nine-year-old son and you know she was married the whole thing and uh it was completely and totally needless completely and totally um you know preventable and everybody on this show was basically pointing their fingers at each other saying it's not my responsibility So, there you go. Um, You know, how that all happened, I think, you know, I still go back to, I think there could have been... The only thing that kind of... And it still doesn't mitigate anything. But the only thing that makes sense to me is some sort of sabotage. Where they did have a labor walkout. And maybe somebody left a handful of live rounds saying hey when they find these they'll they'll take us in our concerns seriously um other than that i i don't know other than just absolute complete negligence there's been no there has been no rational explanation as to how live rounds got on that set so that's why i kind of lean towards sabotage but there could be other reasons and uh now they're trying to blame the guy who rented them the guns and they're trying to blame that none of that matters the only thing that matters is that woman was killed and somehow the procedures that are absolutely essential and absolutely the most important things in the world when you're handling guns were completely ignored that's the only thing that matters and they need to track it back from them. These people who are saying, "Well, it's not my job. Not, not I said cold gun, but I was handed to it by the armorer who who told me that I don't I don't want to hear all that claptrap." Everybody, if anybody had been paying attention, this never would have happened. So you have everybody not paying attention, and now they're trying to figure out how this all happened, and it's terrible. But I did see the show. It was. You know they had clips of Alec Baldwin in his interview and all this. All of that is very unimpressive, um, absolutely stupid. But you know it's predictable because Hollywood is by and large, li- by and large, liberal. Liberals really don't handle guns very well. <laughs> I mean, they just don't. I mean, it's like everything else. Um, They don't look at it it's logical it's irrevocable you know a gun is a dangerous instrument it's designed to be so it's intended to be so and uh, you know they've had people killed in cars and killed in airplanes and all these all these things are dangerous but a gun is designed to be deadly it is designed to discharge a shot and in such a manner that it's accurate enough that it'll hit something and uh, they're absolutely ridiculous, you know. They they just they play everything off. So this is this is classic liberalism. I'm not responsible. Somehow the gun went off by itself, and it's evil. Somehow the gun loaded itself with a live round and went off by itself. That's that's kind of what I got from it, and nobody seems to understand. And and you know the the to show you the. The level of mental retardation in Hollywood. What they're now saying is, some of these companies and some of these, you know, movie stars, people, The Rock, you know, what a what a talentless oaf that is. Um, the talentless oaf, The Rock, says we're never going to use live guns again. And yeah, they can fake CGI some of it, but it comes down to it, that's not going to make their set any safer. Because these people don't follow safety rules. It doesn't matter if they're handling guns, cars, or anything else. And if you're inherently unsafe, you're inherently unsafe. And so it, this won't make a big difference. Maybe maybe if they go to and do that, some people won't be killed by guns. But they'll be killed by other things, falls and, and, and car wrecks and explosives and all that. I, I, you know, if they can't handle a single-action pistol... If they can't do that how can these people be trusted with pyrotechnics and explosives man i tell you what i would not go near a movie set after seeing after seeing how these guys point the finger at each other as to who's responsible all the rest of this i don't care if it's a high-end movie or a low-end movie these guys have demonstrated to me that they don't get it and i don't want to be anywhere near them if they've got pyrotechnics or explosives that'll that'll be the next thing they'll blow they'll blow a bunch of people up and you don't know you don't even know how many people have been injured that just don't get reported you know because after all the news media censors and doesn't report things that they don't think are important so there you go that is rust and that is the movie industry okay Next question, how should I prepare for the next big ammo shortage? Huh. Well, I mean, we covered it with Lee Equipment. I would buy a basic set of Lee Equipment now. While you can get it, buy the basic equipment. Save all of your empty brass. Um, things you can stockpile now. And, and this doesn't have to be huge. If you only shoot a couple times a year um okay put away put away a thousand pistol primers whatever you shoot let's say you shoot nine millimeter put away a thousand primers put away a thousand bullets order them from Missouri Bullet Company a thousand lead bullets buy a can of powder and buy a basic reloading setup and you're set basic reloading setup being a press some sort of a scale and dies, and also maybe some sort of powder measure thing. You know, the I use a RCBS Uniflow that I've had for forever. I love it. Um, you know, and you and you can do that. And and if you have no experience hand loading, get with someone who does, and maybe even maybe even crank out a couple hundred rounds yourself just so that you know how to do it so you're not learning from Jump Street. But, you know, a thousand rounds will probably kind of keep you going through whatever the next shortage is. As I look at these shortages, there have been shortages in the 90s. There have been shortages in the early 2000s. The 90s were, you know, the Clinton years and there were just runs on guns and then there was a shortage. That was the first primer shortage, I remember. And, uh, It came back pretty quickly. Within a few months, you could get primers again. But then when the war on terror started, remember all they, you know, they were making ammunition for the armed forces. So there was a shortage then. And then uh, when Obama was elected, everybody was buying stuff up because they thought he's going to make everything illegal. Like he's, you know, king of the universe. And it turns out he didn't do any of that. So uh, then there was like Sandy Hook. Then of course the summer of love, the George Floyd memorial riots, where you know, let's honor, let's whether you think George Floyd was a good or a bad person, they're going to honor his memory by burning, stealing, and looting. So these shortages have happened in the past. These shortages will happen in the future, and um, a little bit of a little bit of just salting some stuff away will will kind of get you through it. And you don't have to do it for every caliber you shoot, but just kind of. Shoot the most, you know, take one that, hey, you know, if, if I could only shoot one, which one would it be? And it, just put that stuff away. Um, again, I have no connection with any of these companies, so I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just, uh, out of out of any kind of personal gain, I'm just saying, this is what I would do. What I plan to do is uh, uh, replenish. I've already, you know, taken up my bullet casting, and I've already taken up my... Uh, powder coating and I can make my own percussion caps with that little kit I bought I'm gonna be cranking out a lot of those and in the next year and uh, you know and I'm gonna buy primers as I can and as I need and you know go from there so that's that's how I would do that okay here's the last question how on a budget would you optimize a hunting rifle for tactical use Well, the answer is I wouldn't. So I'm going to answer this question telling you stuff that I'm not going to do, that I wouldn't do. I would say that if you need a tactical rifle for, and I'm assuming this is how would I optimize a hunting rifle for use in self-defense for, and and that's a very broad category, but what I would say is the the price of AR-15s is so cheap that the cost of modifying or Upgrading your hunting rifle to be more tactical is going to be a lot more expensive than just buying an AR. But there are places where you can't really buy an AR, so or buy the one you want. So um, I'll just give this a quick a quick roll. But um, you know, really, the best thing to do is to buy a much more self-defense oriented long arm, which even if it's a a short barrel 12 gauge or something so but anyway here's this falls into what I call the Jed Eckert syndrome you know red dawn I'm going to be up in the up in the woods with my my bolt action shooting deer and if the commies come up there I'm going to shoot them too okay okay, great you know but anyway so disregarding the Jed Eckert Jed Jed Eckert syndrome and disregarding the um, you know the fact that it's it's probably not cost effective here's here's what I would say. Um, there are places where you know maybe the the easy gun to have is a, is a bolt action hunting rifle. So I would make sure that it has a well, the features I would like to see on it would be a shorter barrel 20 to 22 inches. Um, a scope that is optimized for the range you're going to be using and if it's a if it's going to be close range I would even I would go LPVO might be a way to go might be a way to go put an LPVO on it Uh, I would also look and see is there a way to increase if you can't increase the rate of fire can you at least increase the capacity and to do this I took a look at my old Remington 700, a commercial Browning automatic uh, hunting rifle, sporting rifle, and a Winchester Model 88. These are three kind of inheritance guns that I have. I don't really use them because I don't hunt so or at least I don't hunt things that uh, that those would be useful for. Uh, what I found was that the the gun the first thing I would do if I had to try to accurize or do that is they all come with wooden stocks so I would try to get synthetic stocks uh, for them Um, for the I would also try to make sure that I could free float the barrels if I could that's gonna help accuracy somewhat Um, I would also make sure that they have some sort of a bedding if it's not a chassis type stock and you can get those ones with the hidden chassis, you know, like the the uh, Bell and Carlson Medalist is one. I would also evaluate the trigger, see if it's the kind you want. For oh, the, another rifle I looked at was that um, 1917 Sporter I put together a year and a half ago. Uh, you might want to look at a better trigger that gun would need a better trigger that gun would need bedding and a free floated barrel or a replacement stock that would essentially uh, do those things for me and then uh, I would I would put probably a low power scope on that if you get a two power scope an LPVO one to four one to six one to eight whatever whatever you want to put however much money you want to dump on that that thing um, the 1917 and Remington 700 have blind magazines so uh, I would get a you can get them in leather they're expensive or you can get them in you know kind of um, Cordura which is cheap those butt cuffs that you put on there that can hold you know at least five rounds of additional ammo Uh, that would help it's not certainly not going to make it high capacity, and it's certainly not going to look very impressive next to an AR. But it's it's an improvement over what is there currently. What is there? So I'd get one of those. Um, you know, and and that's about it. I would I would make sure the barrel is short. It's handy. Um, you know, you could make a you could make a. Uh, um, an argument for a scout scope type mount if you can if the rifle will take one if that's even possible but i think lpvo is probably fine you know so that's what i would do and you could on on very like my remington 700 does not need an additional any trigger work it's got a very good trigger on it the 1917 does both of those would need replacement stocks of some kind or the stock modified so that the barrels free-floated and and the action is bedded Um, what else Um, a muzzle brake might not be a bad thing to have Uh, also look at the ammunition you shoot because a muzzle brake can help mitigate some recoil but you know for a while they were producing that kind of low recoil ammunition for various rifle calibers, depending what calibers you're you're looking at. Uh I would go for, definitely go with that. Because even in a bolt gun, if you have to cycle the bolt, which is you know, takes a little while takes a little time compared to a semi automatic. But if you can shave a little bit of time off that, even fractions of seconds, uh, by using a a lower powered rifle round, oh, that's a good thing. And uh Maybe that lower powered round with a muzzle brake really helps out. So that's that's what I would do. But, you know, again, this is something that I can't really say that's what I would do because that's, that's something I don't really believe in that strongly. I, I would get a better gun. And in fact, if it's close range, I would even look at a 10.22 and an extended magazine. I think you'd, you'd be in great shape there or, you know, a good good 12-gauge shotgun. If you're talking about out to 50 yards, buckshot, slugs, 12-gauge is, good, good is a good thing. A ten twenty two is a good thing because I, I find hunting-type rifles to be a bit unwieldy close in, but you know, you could could optimize them so that, you know, at 50 to 100 yards, it'd be great. So Anyway, that's that's the answer I have for that. If I think of anything else, Uh, I will definitely pass it on but for now this is old school guns and this is old school guns Uh, basically we're going to sign off but again if you have any questions or comments leave them in the comments section of podbean or you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com and I will be sure to answer them for you And until then, this is Old School Guns, out.